Good morning, Maple Grove. Hey, as the psalmist writes in Psalm 118, verse 24, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Amen? Let's hear some rejoicing out there. Come on. All right. Rejoicing at home, right? Now, do you know the context of that verse? Uh, the psalmist is recounting times when God's people, they were in anguish. They were surrounded by their enemies. They were like a swarm of bees attacking them. They were, they were being pushed back, and they were ready to fall. And then they cried out to God, and God became their help, their refuge, their song, their strength, their salvation. And therefore, they, they looked on triumph over their enemies. And then, and then the psalmist begins to look towards the future, and, and the future of the Messiah and the, and the salvation that he would bring, right? Verse 21. I will give thanks to you because you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And we know from Paul and Peter that is talking about Jesus, right? He was rejected and he became the cornerstone. Uh, this came from the Lord and it is wonderful in our eyes. This is the day, uh, the day that he was rejected, the day that he became our cornerstone. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Lord, save us. That's Hosanna. Uh, please grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And, and so what that's talking about, this is the day, is the day of our salvation. This is the day that the Lord has made is talking about Jesus and, and that he allows us to have triumph over our enemies. And this day is every day because of Jesus, right? You know, this is the day the Lord has made. The day that we get to be saved and you can be right with God, let us rejoice and be glad in it. Amen? Amen. Rejoicing? Amen. I like it. I like it. I feel you. Now, now since April the 26th, we've been, we've been in this series. Uh, I think it's been a pretty awesome series from at least where I stand, right? It should be. Uh, name Above All Names, a series where we are, uh, we're, we're unpacking some of the titles and names of Jesus in an effort to know better the one that we claim to follow. And we've unpacked some pretty powerful Know Jesus Better truths that are intended to both anchor and shape our lives. Intended to what? To anchor our lives things, and to shape our lives. Maple Grove, Jesus is the Word come flesh. He is mighty God, Emmanuel. He is the good shepherd. He is the prince of peace. He is the Lamb of God. He is the head of the body the bridegroom of the bride. He is the vine of the branches, the cornerstone of the building. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and he is the everlasting father. And though there are many more titles that we could dive into, we're only going to talk about two more. I am the resurrection and the life, found in John chapter 11, and then the title, Our Lord Jesus Christ. That's a title used over 60 times in the New Testament, three times in Acts, two times in James, two times in Jude, and 49 times in Paul's letters. However, this morning, I, I felt compelled to jump out of this series like I did a few weeks back when we talked about the, uh, the Prince of Peace in order to talk about something that I feel is imperative for us to understand considering the times that we are living in right now in our nation. And I got really creative with the title. It's actually the first six uh, words in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord. I understand, contrary to, 
to what we may think, see, or feel, or what others may want us to believe, our struggles, even the current ones that we are in as a people and a nation, are not ultimately against flesh and blood. They're not ultimately against people. And I don't know about you, but for me, that can be really hard for me to keep sight of at times, right? Extremely hard. Actually, in my notes, I make that an 18-point font, right? Because it is extremely hard for me. Understand, there there are always things going on that are far beyond what our physical eyes can see. And in his book, Extreme Prayer, Greg Pruitt writes this. There are cataclysmic clashes and casualties. It's unlikely that any of us will make it out alive, and no one will escape unscathed. All around us, unseen bullets ricochet, and lives are devastated in the heat of the unnoticeable battle. Our eyes are closed to the spiritual narrative unfolding around us. But deep down, we all are are dimly aware that some poignant drama unfolds on this earth. Unseen bullets ricocheting, lives devastated, unnoticeable battle, a, a spiritual thing unfolding before us. Again, there's always more going on in the world than what our eyes can see. Therefore, we must, as Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, we must be careful. Watch out for attacks from the devil, your great enemy. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for some victim to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. And then John in Revelation, he he paints a a powerful picture of our enemy as a dragon that has declared war on the followers of Jesus. Revelations 12, 17. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring and those who keep God's commands and hold fast to their testimony about Jesus. The dragon was enraged. He went off to what? To wage war, right? He went off to wage war. And the book, The Hobbit, J.R.R. Tolkien, tells the story of a, a little guy named Bilbo Baggins, right, who joins a, a remnant group of dwarfs to reclaim their mountain home. Only problem is that a deadly dragon now lives on that mountain. Smog or smog. It's crazy. I went online. It's pronounced so many different ways. How do you guys say it? Smog. Actually, initially, I was watching a guy in it. It was going to be smog, but... Everybody said smog, and they thought that sounded better, more guttural. I don't know. Anyhow, that was free, and you didn't want it anyhow. That's why it's free, right? And, and because that dragon's there, they got to be careful, right? You know, they have to be careful because they don't want to walk back to their homeland not being aware, right, that this dragon is there. Here's what Tolkien writes. I, like, I love this. It does not do to leave a live dragon out of your calculations if you live near him. It does not do to leave a live dragon out of your calculations if you live near him. Maple Grove, we live near a dragon. I understand that ever since Satan was thrown out of heaven, he has roamed this earth, prowls about like a roaring lion, like an angry, enraged dragon looking for someone to devour. The Apostle Paul warned us in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, that we must not let Satan outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. So, so, 
how does the devil try to outwit and devour us? Like, like, like what are his schemes? And let, listen, one thing we, we got to keep in mind is that Satan is not the equal opposite of God. Like, he's not the dark side of the force, but the same power as the light side of the force. You see, while he is very powerful, and probably he was an archangel before he got booted out, though he's very powerful, he's not all-powerful like our God is. And he's also, unlike our God, he cannot be everywhere at the same time. He is not all-present. However, since Satan is such a cunning and intelligent schemer, he has devised an, an effective strategy to leverage his influence for the largest maximum impact on our world. Specifically, Satan targets societal structures and institutions that hold the greatest influence over the vast majority of people. You see, he knows that if he can corrupt this small group of people who control these large cultural structures, then those institutions and structures begin to do his work for him. Are are you tracking with me? Here's the deal. See, Satan cannot target each person individually. He can't do that, right? He's not, he can only be at one place at the same time. Instead, he simply has to infect the politics or religious or economic or education or entertainment bloodstream of a culture, and then this virus rapidly spreads throughout and affects the entire system. It is a wickedly brilliant plan, one he's effectively implemented throughout human history, and one I contend that he's implementing right now in our own country. Here's what I'm trying to say. The real enemy Uh, The one who is actually behind the scenes writing the script and pulling the strings of all the hate and anger and rage and violence and immorality and division and destruction is not the radical left or the radical right. No, it's Satan, our great enraged dragon and proud lion. Understand. None of the hate, rage, anger, violence, destruction, division, immorality is of God. Amen? Therefore, it's of who, right? It's of, it's of our enemy. But, but uh, how do we stand up against an enemy that powerful and who has such a brilliant plan? Well, we must also wage war. But as Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. For the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Let me tell you, there's a lot of that going on right now. We have a lot of people setting themselves up against the truth and the knowledge of God, right? And our weapons can demolish every pretension that has the audacity to set itself up against the knowledge and truth of our God. And we need to take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Obedient to who? To our culture? To those who are shouting the loudest, right? No. We must take our thoughts and make them obedient to Christ. And this, my brothers and sisters, leads us into Ephesians chapter 6, 10 through 20. At today's conversation, finally, be strong in the Lord. Would you pray with me?
Heavenly Father, we, we love you. And Father, we recognize, Lord, that you are God and that you're infinite and that you're powerful. We recognize that your word is true. And, and we recognize, God, because your word says it, that, that our enemy is Satan, that our battle is not against flesh and blood, and that our enemy is enraged, that our enemy has waged war, and that our enemy prowls about like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour that our enemy loves to steal, kill, and destroy. He loves division, hatred, rage, anger, violence, immorality, division, destruction. And Heavenly Father, I just pray, God, that uh, you will help us to know what you would have us do, your people, at such a time as this. And God, I pray you help us. And Jesus, help me. <laughs> Amen. Hey, let's do this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Uh, that word finally is not like, Paul's not drawing a, a conclusion. It, 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 a better translation would be for the remaining time. In other words, like, hey, while you're still here, while you're still here, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Now, that word strong, it's in, a, it's in what's called a, a passive voice, which means we're the ones being acted upon. So what Paul is saying is be made strong. See, God is our strength, and we must be dependent upon him. It's his power, not ours. It's his might, not ours. It's his strength, not ours. A few verses, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Then Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. Is that crazy or what? Not might be, should be, could be, right? That is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Now, now when Paul, Paul goes to the, the put on, now he shifts from a passive voice to an active voice, which means we're the ones doing it, right? We're the ones doing it. And, and he uses both the passive voice, right? Be made strong and active, put on to show that there's this partnership that exists between us and God, right? It's God's power working through us, and it's us putting on these things, Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And again, his major scheme, right, is to use, we see it in Revelation 13, 14, we see it in Revelation all over the place. His major scheme is to use godless government, false religion, and, and uh, indulgent and moral culture to accomplish his purpose and to infect the masses. Paul continues, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. That's hard, right, isn't it? Because you can see the flesh and blood. The flesh and blood is what gets up in your face, right? The flesh and blood is what you can reach out and reach out. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Again, other people are not our ultimate enemy. Question, what happens if you're in a war and you fight the wrong enemy? It's called you lose, right? I mean, do Christians ever fight the wrong enemy? You ever been a member of a church? <laughs> okay. 
here's the deal. Our enemy is powerful, evil, and cunning. In addition to his larger schemes, here are some ways our enemy deceives us. Um, by getting people to believe that he's not really real. And that we're really not in this war, right? Getting us to think that this conversation that Steve is having this morning is kind of weird and way out there, right? All this devil and spiritual can't see stuff, right? He, he loves when we think he's not there, right? He loves that. He, he also deceives us by twisting, distorting, devaluing, and de-authoritying. I make that word up. De-authoritying the word of God, right? He twists it, he distorts it, he devalues it, and he says it has no authority, right? I know the Bible says that, but hey, we're, we're 21st century Americans, right? We're more sophisticated than that. He deceives us by getting us to think that it really doesn't matter whether or not we read the Bible as a Christian. He deceives us by getting us to think that, that somehow wrong is right or that somehow our sin and wrong behavior is, is somehow okay. He gets us to deceive us by getting us to think that somehow doing wrong can never bring about good. He deceives us by getting us to think that, you know what, you know, the ends always justifies the means, Right? He deceives us by getting us to think that there is no real truth, right? That there is no absolute truth. We have a powerful, even evil, cunning enemy. And he has only one objective for your life and mine and those you love. Steal, kill, and destroy. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. So that when the day of evil comes, right? It's coming. <laughs> In many ways, it's here. You'll be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. If we want to stand our ground, we have to put on what? The full armor of God. And, and what I want to do right now is to, to make this conversation as practical as I possibly can. You know, you know for years I, I've heard about the armor of God. I've seen children put it on in children's church, you know, dressing up in it. But I didn't really know what it was. And I really wasn't sure how I could put it on. If I don't know what it is, and I don't know how to put it on, then I'm going to battle without any armor, right? So how do we actually do this? Okay, let's do this. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Now, a Roman soldier had a belt and it kind of held everything together, right? In like matter, truth holds the armor of a Christian together. And the truth there, it's not, it's not talking about truth as in the word of God, because that's going to come up a little bit later in Ephesians chapter 17 when he talks about the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. See, the truth he's talking about here is the belt, the truth, it's talking about personal integrity and honesty, right? It's talking about being a person of integrity and being an honest person, having truth, integrity, honesty wrapped around your waist. Here's a few verses uh, no one who practices deceit will dwell in my house. No one who speaks falsely will stand in my presence. I looked it up. The Hebrew word for no one, you know what it means? No one. <laughs> right? No one. No exceptions. Proverbs 11.3. The integrity of the upright guides them. Right? You always know what to do, right? If you're a person of integrity, right? But the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity, Right? They're destroyed because, hey, sometimes I go this way, sometimes I go that way. Jesus said, but let your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything else, anything more than this is from the evil one, right? Your yes be yes. We don't, oh, 
I'll, a pinky swear. I'm telling it, yeah, right? Cross my heart, hope to die. We don't need to do that, right? Simply say yes, simply say no. Jesus said in John 8, 44, you belong to your father, the devil. That's not very nice. That's not very blonde-haired, blue-haired, halo-wearing Jesus-like, is it? You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. See, here, here's the deal. We, we, cannot, we, we cannot stand our ground against the devil if we're trying to play the game on his field. The field of dishonesty. The field of lack of integrity. Understand, once we allow what is false to take root in our life, once we allow ourselves to lose our integrity, everything begins to fall apart. Like armor without a belt. For example, David, a great king, great warrior, great worshiper, he allowed falsehood and lies and a lack of integrity to take root in his life for, for over a year after his sin with Bathsheba, and his life fell apart. I mean, this guy was worn out physically, spiritually, and emotionally, right? But then when he repented, he wrote two great Psalms, Psalm 32 and Psalm 51. And in Psalm 51, he says this, Surely you desire integrity in the what? In the inner self. See, integrity, it's not about the image we promote, right? It's not about the image we portray. It's about, it's about our inner being, right? It's about who we really are. Do you struggle with being truthful? Do your words and actions do the, the match? Can, can people or do people trust what you say? Hey, if you always got to be careful saying the name, right? If, if Zachariah said it, <laughs> that's pretty safe, right? If Bocephus said it, right? Then you know what? We can trust it. Are, are you the same person in the dark as you are in the light? That's integrity. And integrity is, uh, it's choosing courage over comfort. It's choosing what is right over what is fun, fast, or easy. It's choosing to practice our values rather than simply professing them. Amen? Uh, there was a dad who took his daughter to a, a carnival, and she went straight for the cotton candy. got this huge, massive cotton candy, and he looks at her and goes, Are you sure you can eat that? That thing is huge. She says, hey, don't worry, Dad. I'm much bigger on the inside than I am on the outside. And that's what it means to put on the belt of truth, right? It's for you and I to be bigger on the inside than we are on the outside. It's about being a person of integrity and honesty. Sin firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place. A breastplate, right, is a it's either metal plates or chains that protected your front and your back, protected your vital organs, right? Very important. And I think when it comes to the breastplate of righteousness, right, I believe that Paul has two aspects in mind. A positional aspect and a practical aspect. And let me explain what I mean by that. Uh, the positional aspect is the righteousness we have because we are in Christ. A few scriptures. There's now, no there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. 
2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him, in Christ, we would become the righteousness of God. That's a crazy verse. Ephesians 1.7, in him we have redemption through the blood, the forgiveness of sins. You see, when, when we're in Christ, we, we, we stand uncondemned because we're under God's grace. And, and that's an essential defense against our enemy who wants us still to live under the law, still to live under we have to do and earn in order to be. However, our breastplate of righteousness, it protects our heart. We say, wait a second, I'm right with God, right? I'm under grace. I stand in God's grace. I am forgiven. I am redeemed. And there's many more passages we could talk about that uses the phrase in him or in Christ. And it's clear from Scripture that being in Christ is essential to our salvation. No condemnation, right? New creation, old gone, becoming the righteousness of God, redemption, forgiveness. And so the question of the ages is, right, how do we get in Christ? How do we get into Christ? You know, can you answer that? Can you answer that biblically? Understand, a repentant believer is baptized into Christ. It's always best to let the Bible answer our questions if it does, right? Uh, Romans 6.3, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Galatians 3.27, for all of us who were baptized into Christ have clothed ourselves with Christ. Okay, so that's the, that's the positional, right? We're in Christ. Now, the practical aspect is what Paul is talking about in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24. It's about putting on the new self. It's about walking the walk and living the life. And, and, and see, this practical righteousness is very important because Satan, who John says in Revelation 12, 10, accuses us day and night, finds it really hard to attack us about our righteousness if we're living a godly life to the best of our ability. And here's what I'm trying to say. Please stick with me. The life we live either fortifies us against Satan's attacks or it makes it easier for Satan to attack and defeat us. You see, it's hard for me to go into battle and claim my positional righteousness. Hey, I'm under grace. I'm a child of God. I'm saved. I'm forgiven. I'm redeemed. If I have some, a bunch of secret sins, right, that, that, that I haven't dealt with, right? Because I'm not as confident in that grace when I'm supposed to be dead to sin. Does that make sense? I'm just not as confident because I'm like, well. And, and Satan wants to accuse me, right? Oh, really? You're right with God? Then why are you doing that stuff? Why are you acting that way? Are you, are you sure you're right with God? Maybe you just went one sin too far, right? And, and, and then I begin to doubt, right? I, I, I begin to doubt my positional righteousness. Now understand, we're saved by our position, not our condition, right? We're saved because we're in Christ, not because we're perfect. We never will be. But Satan gets to mess with us because if I'm not living right, he begins to get me to doubt the fact that I am right with God. I hope that makes sense to you because it makes a whole lot of sense to me because that's what he does to me a lot of the time. So how do we put on this, right? We put on it by being in Christ. We put on that by living a godly life, right? Being righteous positionally and practically. Stand firm then with the belt of truth around your waist, your honesty, integrity, with your breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. 
You know, Roman soldiers wore, wore a shoe that it, it was made of leather. It, it, it had, had a studded bottom sole and, and it allowed the soldier to make long marches, but also, you know, to take a firm stand when he's in battle. You know, shoes are important, right, you know, for a soldier. Valley Fords, right, frostbite, not a good thing. And I also think you would agree that it's important to be prepared if you're going into battle. Have you ever gone to anything unprepared? Being unprepared usually spells one thing, defeat, right? And so Paul says in Ephesians 6, verse 15, it is the gospel of peace that prepares us and makes us ready for battle, right? So how does the gospel prepare us and make us ready? I think in two ways, and both of these ways are seen in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Paul writes, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. So did you see the two ways that the gospel makes us ready? First, first way, the gospel's power makes us ready. Does knowing that you have a great power behind you, you think that makes a soldier a little bit more ready for battle? You know, I, I love watching World War II stuff. They put a new one on, I'm going to watch it. I love it. I love watching that. And, and you know, you, you think it make the guys on D-Day hit the beach more ready, knowing that they had the naval power and the air power supporting them? You think that made them more ready? You think that gave them confidence knowing they had that power behind them? Yeah, of course it did. Well, we have not just any power, but we have the power of God, the dunamis of God. It's where we get our, our word dynamite. We have the power of God, right? The gospel is the power of God right? Therefore, we are always locked and loaded when we have the power of God. The second thing, the second way the gospel makes us ready is because the gospel of purpose makes us ready. It's important for a soldier to know the purpose of why he's fighting. I remember in the mid-90s, um, I went to a leadership conference. It could have been a Zig Ziglar conference, I think. And one of the speakers was General Norman Schwarzkopf. And uh, um, he, he was speaking about his experience when he led troops in Vietnam and when he led troops in Desert Storm. And I, I, I remember this so vividly. And he just said, you know, in, in Vietnam, nobody knew why they were there. The soldiers didn't know what they were doing. They had no idea what the mission was. And, but, but he said, in Desert Storm, he said, everybody from the lowest private all the way up the chain knew exactly the purpose, knew exactly what they were trying to accomplish. And so what is the gospel's purpose? The gospel's purpose is to bring salvation to everyone who believes. See, it's, it's only when we have a firm grasp on the purpose, on this purpose, that we will endure like a soldier, right? That we will, we will see that the cause is always worth the cost. That we will, like Paul, be able to say something like this. In Acts 20, verse 24, he's heading back to Jerusalem. They're saying, dude, if you go back there, guess what's going to happen? It's over. They're going to kill you, Paul. They're going to beat you and arrest you. It's not going to be pretty. And then Paul says this, but my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Understand, there is no greater cause than the cause of Christ and his gospel. There is no greater cause than the cause of Christ and his gospel. Amen? Amen. If you're at home, listen at home, type amen. Therefore, we must be careful, all right? 
not to get caught up in any cause, no matter how noble, if it puts the cause of Christ on the back burner. Hear what I'm saying? And, and, and i got to be honest, I'm, I'm afraid I'm seeing this happening on both the right and the left, right, of those who claim Christ, right? We're getting so caught up in a cause, either the cause of the right or the cause of the left, whatever those causes may be, that somehow, with so much passion, right, we can't stop posting about it, tweeting about it, right? We can't stop videoing about it, TikToking about it, that somehow the cause of Christ is now somewhere back here. And we got to be careful, right? Because there is no more important cause than the cause that helps lost people find salvation, right? To be forgiven and being made right with God. That is the greatest cause, and I contend that any other noble cause will be covered by us dealing with what is the greatest cause. Amen? Are your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace? Do you, do you believe in his power? You're like, look what it did to a guy named Paul. A terrorist and a murderer, right? You believe in his power to change people? Do you see what the gospel did to the Roman Empire? Yeah. They, they, they did without violence and hatred, right? But through love and truth and service and grace, they brought down the Roman Empire, right? That, that's the power of the gospel. You believe in his power and, and are you seized and gripped by its purpose that, that you can play a part in someone spending forever with God? We have the belt of truth. That's our honesty and integrity. We can put that on. We can put on our breastplate of righteousness, right? right? By being in Christ and by living to the best of our ability, never perfect, but striving to live a godly life. And, and, and we, can, we can have our feet made ready with the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming hours of the evil one. Where Paul uses here is this large Roman shield that was four feet by two and a half feet. It was two layers of wood glued together, first a, a layer of cloth, then leather, and it was binded on the edges with iron, and especially designed, right, to extinguish the flaming arrows that the enemies would shoot at them. And Paul says that, that as a Christian, our shield is our what? It's our faith. Here's how I, I see it. Our, our shield is what we believe, who we believe in. And what this belief means to our identity, right? What we believe, who we believe in, and what this means to, to our identity. In one of the books I read for the study, the author writes, by the fiery darts, Paul here refers probably to temptations of the great adversary which are like fiery darts. Those furious suggestions of evil and excitement to sin which he throws at our minds like fiery darts. They are blasphemous thoughts, Unbelief, sudden temptations to do wrong, or thoughts that would torment the soul, doubt, rebellion, malice, lust, greed, fear. In regards to these arrows, we observe they come suddenly like arrows sped from a bow. They come from unexpected places like arrows shot suddenly from an enemy in ambush. And they pierce, penetrate, and torment the soul as arrows would that are on fire. And the only way to distinguish them, extinguish them is through our faith. What we believe, who we believe in, what that belief means to our identity. And, and so when, when he sends a flaming arrow to us, and maybe that flaming arrow is to, is to get us to sin or act in a way that God would not have, right? We, our faith says, I don't have to listen to you. I can't listen to you 
I, I won't listen to you. I, I believe in God. I believe in who God is, and I believe in who God says I am. Therefore, that is not something I will do. That is not something I will entertain. That is not anything I will ever listen to because I am a child of God, right? That's our shield. It protects us. Hey, do this. Do this. Act this way. I can't do it. Can't do it because I'm a child of God. That's my faith, who I believe, who I believe in, and what that makes me and how that changes me. Next, Paul says, take the helmet of salvation. You know, we, helmets were important, right? <laughs> you know, because like it keeps your head from getting hit with an axe, a sword, a club. And, and so what is the helmet of salvation? The key to understanding that is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 8. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting our faith and love, putting on faith and love as a breastplate. And what does he say? And the hope of salvation as a helmet, right? See the, see, the helmet protected a soldier's mind. And what protects our mind in the battle, in the heat of battle, is our hope of salvation, right? And, and this hope is really important because, because the reality is sometimes the individual battles that we are fighting, it, it, it seems like we're losing. It, it, it seems like it's all over. It seems like throwing the towel and quit, right? But it's this hope of salvation, right, that keeps us going. You know, I remember hearing stories you know, again, about the Normandy landing and, you know, how the guys on the ground, you know, were, were like, we're losing, we're losing, we're losing. But, but yet, you know, the commanders who were watching from above, you know what they were saying? We're winning. We're winning. We're winning. And, and many times in life, right, it, it's so hard and difficult because doctors bring back bad reports, right? Because bad things happen to good people. Because the nation can get so out of whack, we can begin to lose our hope, right? But again, but at those times, if we're wearing the hope of our salvation, we're going, wait a second. This world, it's not my home. I, I have a living hope. Now, I don't grieve. I don't live like people that don't have hope because I know one day Jesus is coming back. I know that one day I, I will spend forever in heaven with him, right? It's this hope that we have. In the heat of battle that, hey, you know what? We win. We win. We're winning. We're winning. We're winning because Christ already won, right? We put that helmet on. We put that helmet on, and it protects us. Then he says, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Soldiers like swords, right? And this one was probably the 22-inch double-edged sword that all Roman soldiers wanted to make sure they had. And the Bible says that our sword is the Word of God. And the Word of God is living, it's active, it's sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. 1 Peter 1, 24 and 25. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Second Timothy. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong, teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Right? What a weapon, right? corrects us, it teaches us, it warns us, it shows us the right way to go. It equips us. It's our light. It's our guide. And last but certainly not least, Paul talks about prayer. 
And pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me, that whenever I open my mouth, words will be given me, so that I will fiercely make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am in chains. Pray that I may declare it fiercely as I should. I'd appreciate that every week if you pray that for me. You see, we, we need to be plugged into to our power source. We need to be in communication with, with our commander-in-chief. Uh, to pray in the Spirit is to pray with sincerity. It's to pray with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's to, it's to pray with the purposes of God in mind. And, and, and what can prayer do? It, it, it's, it's like one of our most powerful weapons. And, and one of our most infrequently deployed weapons, right? It's our last resort, resort and that else fails, right? But like we have access to the throne room of God. Um, James says, Elijah was a man just like us. And he prayed that it wouldn't rain. And it didn't rain for three and a half years. He prayed again that the skies would open up. And the skies opened up. And he says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. You see, prayer can do anything that, anything that God can do. See, our, our struggle, right, right now, it's crazy. Can we just, I think we all can admit it. You know, if you've been fasting from the news, you probably feel really good right now. But it's crazy out there. It, it, I, don't, I, I don't even understand. Like, I woke up and said, like, what in the world is going on? But our struggle is not against the people we see, right? It's not about the, against the people who tweet, right? It's not against the right or against the left, right? It's against principalities and powers, the spiritual forces of evil in this dark world. That's what it's against. It's against Satan. Satan loves hatred, division, rage, immorality. He loves it, right? And we can't get caught up in it. And if we're going to fight in this battle, we're already in a war, right? I mean... It's not a choice. He's already declared war. The dragon has already went off to make war. So that's not an option. So if you're going to be at war, we must be prepared. And so we, we put the belt of truth around us. We, we work, we strive hard to be people of honesty and integrity. We put our breastplate on. We make sure we're in Christ and that we're living for Christ. We, we make sure that, that, that our, our, our feet are fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, the, that we believe in the gospel's power, we're gripped by the gospel's purpose, that we have our shield of faith that says, wait a second, there's a certain way I have to act and live and believe, and there's certain things I won't do and certain lies I won't believe because of my faith. And we have to have our helmet on, remind ourselves, when things are dark and dreary, that when we've been there 10,000 years, bright, shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing his praise than when we first begun, right? We're going home. We're going home, right? This isn't where we're staying, right? And then we need to have our sword. We need to have the word of God to teach us, correct us, to, to equip us. And then we need to be in prayer. Put on full armor. So we can take our stand. Don't get, let's help each other not get caught up in the nonsense. And if we're going to join any movement, any cause, let it be the cause of Christ. Amen? If we're going to be passionate about anything, let's be passionate about the cause of Christ and the redemption of people who are lost and who need him. And lives that are being devastated because they believe the lies of the enemy. 
And we're going to be doing something. And, and, um, and I know the enemy doesn't want us to do this because I've never tried to share a Bible reading program that had so many difficulties. I put it in my email, and when people got it, hey, that came from Jonathan Richmond. I text someone this morning, and she goes, hey, I got your, I got your invite to the Bible reading program, but it's all in Korean. And I go, <laughs> how did that happen? And I look, it was. I mean, it opened, I, I, well, I, I think it was Korean, it just I couldn't read it, you know. Um, Erica Dunme said it was in Korean, and, and uh, I, I have no clue, right? But I've never had so much trouble trying to get this out, but we're doing part four of a of a million chapters of the Bible. It's 40 days. It lasts 40 days. I want, I, I want to encourage you to do that. You know, I want to encourage you to do that. And we're also, you'll be getting um, the first part of the list tomorrow, each day. And I've asked some people, and some of the people I've asked, if you're listening, you're in here online, if you haven't sent me some prayer ideas yet, hey, let's do it, right? You know, because I, I, but we're, each day we're going to have a focus of prayer. So for 40 days in the Word, 40 days in praying for specific things, right? And then, like, let's see what happens, right? You know, because I think the Word in prayer helps us with all the rest of the armor, right? So I really want to encourage you to do that. And when we put in the full armor, God, as we're, we're about to sing um, this song here, and it, it's, our, it's our third week in a row singing this song. It, it, it was new uh, three weeks ago, but now it's not as new. And... and, and uh, I was like, well, we don't want to do this. You know, we've done it so many times, um, but it's so appropriate here, right? It's about sea of victory, you know? Um, you know, the enemy has plans for evil right now. Hey, you can't save the whole world, but God will bring people into your life you'll encounter that you can be his light. You know, you don't have to shine the light everywhere. Just shine the light where you are, right? And, and if we do that, what the enemy meant for evil, God can turn it to good, Right? If we put on the full armor of God, we, we will see a victory, you know, because the battle belongs to our Lord. Amen. Uh, let's pray. Father God, we love you. And God, I just pray that as we sing this song, we make this a declaration, Lord, that we believe it. God, that we'll be able to stand our ground, Lord, that we won't be swept away by the tides of our culture. God, but we will stand true to your word and to your gospel. And God, that we will see a victory. In Jesus' name, amen.